0: This is Event Masters, behind-the-scenes stories, experiences, and lessons shared by the world's leading event experts, hosted by Christian Napier.
1: Well, hello, everyone. I'm Christian Napier, and I am super excited to welcome our next guest. Uh, Today's guest is uh, an amazing person. I've known her for more than two decades, and uh, it's the incomparable Maureen Sweeney. Maureen How are you?
0: Very well. Excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Well, I am honored to have you. And let me tell you and everybody who's watching why. I got to go to the bio here. Your bio says you've got 20 years experience uh, developing and executing high-end meetings, events, and trips around the globe. But I know you've been involved in this event space for even longer than that. Not that I want to age you or anything like (laughs) that, because that's that's not it. But all right. So hospitality, <laughs> language services.
0: Yep.
1: And we've done a lot of work together on that one, uh, and, uh, event planning. <laughs> so when it comes to this, you're dealing with the VVIPs, the true VVIPs. Uh, and when we get to some of these organizations, you're going to know who the, some of these VVIPs are. You'll just understand how VVIP <laughs> v, they are. Uh. Lots of work on interpretation program development, uh, dignitary delegation handling. Your bio says you've held senior level staff positions and advisory roles with multiple Olympic organizing committees. Well, it's basically all of them since Atlanta.
0: degrees. <laughs> so I can't say all of them. All I was, right. I <laughs> what were they
1: thinking? They should have been using you. I know. All I, right to my friends I in didn't happen. want to go. <laughs> And in addition to that, you've also served for over a decade, or you served for over a decade as the uh, advisor uh, to the International Olympic Committee for Protocol and Language Services. You've also worked on European Games, the Warrior Games, Pan American Games, World Equestrian Games, my goodness, <laughs> World Boxing Championships, the Chicago Olympic bid. Uh, well, I was working for Rio, sorry. Uh, the you U.S. Want. Olympic and Paralympic <laughs> Committee and the Utah Olympic bid, which is ongoing and hopefully will be settled soon. If we, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed. And then in addition to all of this Olympic and sports stuff, you provided services for a lot of other high profile international organizations. So 2020 Expo in Dubai. Here come the VVIPs, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, Lives and Livelihoods Foundation, Clinton Global Initiative, and the Paul Allen Family Foundation, and Vulcan. Uh, So you have arranged high-level delegations. We're talking about high-level government officials, uh, visits to countries like Rwanda, Jordan, Senegal, Indonesia, Ethiopia, Morocco, and Tanzania. Wow. (laughs) And... uh,
0: Crazy place. In addition
1: to all that, you are a founding partner at Tiller Language Services, uh, a boutique translation and interpretation service provider. Uh, and when I was doing work with the IOC uh, on structured interviews, we used you a lot. And uh, yeah. uh, you always provide a great service there. And clients of Tiller Language Services include, oh, you know, organizations like NATO. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Breakwater Strategy, GMMB, uh, 2026 World Cup uh, uh, United Bid, Airbnb, uh, International Olympic Committee, Five Currents, our friends, uh, Scott Givens, uh, Jet Set Sports, iLuca, Gates Ventures, uh, this little app that maybe some people have heard of called TikTok. (laughs) I don't know if anybody's heard of that one. Uh, uh, You know, parent company ByteDance. The Global Nurses Union. V, M, L, Y, and R, and a ton of others. All right. You're making
0: me tired, Christian. <laughs> well, basically,
1: this, this episode is just me reading your bio, and then we'll just wrap it up. That is okay. boring.
0: Okay. But I'm not
1: done because you also hold a master's degree in international public administration from our friends at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies and a bachelor's degree in international relations from the University of Oregon. Go Ducks, ducks. Uh, and ducks. <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm sad to witness the demise of the Pac-12 and your Ducks heading off to Big Ten land and my Utes heading off to Big 12 land, but that's the way it goes with college sports. And this isn't in your bio, so I hope I'm not violating any confidences here, but she has an amazing family, and her daughter's heading off to France yes. uh, next month for a study abroad and, um, and she's an amazing hockey player as well. Absolutely.
0: The best.
1: Okay. (laughs) Did I leave anything out Maureen?
0: Oh my God. No, that's plenty. (laughs) Okay.
1: So now we got to go back to the beginning and ask you, well, how in the world did you get involved in all this stuff?
0: Oh my gosh. Wow. That's so funny. Um, well, I have an unlikely list of experiences that probably started in a sort of unlikely way. So um, I grew up in Oregon, I'm an Oregonian, Uh, not in Portland. You say Oregon and everyone says, oh, you must be from Portland. I grew up about as far away from Portland as you could be and still be in Oregon. So I'm from Medford, which is very close to California, southern part of Oregon. Um, Nothing international going on, never went on an airplane until I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. So um, it certainly wasn't something I was born into. (laughs) Um, Events, I would say that I really, I got into events because when I was in between In between years at college, I would come home to live in Southern Oregon, and I was looking for a fun, interesting summer job. And uh, our local historical society ran, at the time, several living history museums. I don't even know if I've ever told you this story, Christian, and you've heard a lot of I've not heard (laughs) this. No,
1: this is new stuff.
0: (laughs) This is new stuff. because I was really thinking about this answer. Um, And I went and applied because I had always done plays and acting and stuff like that in high school. And I got a job working at one of the living history museums. It was called the Beekman house and they ran the house as if it were 1911. And they hired me to be the maid Louise. And I would do in character tours of this historic house. And I would also cook on the wood stove, uh, recipes from the time period. Anyway, so I got this experience doing tours and events. Uh, We had a lot of international guests because a lot of people would come through groups of, I mean, I I used to make jokes about how I'm probably on the walls of hundreds of Japanese people who took photos of me and my little outfit. (laughs) Um, but I really, really enjoyed that job and and as I worked longer at the Historical Society, they would pull me in to you know it's it's a local community type place, so they'd be like, "Hey, Maureen, you know, can you come do this fundraiser and run the registration desk or can you help with guest check in um and it was super fun, and I really, really liked it so then few years later, when I went off to graduate school, um, I needed a job and I got an on campus job in the development office and the development office, as many of us know, with a nonprofit background is, you know, fundraising. And there was a lot of events and I did, I was the helper on every single event. So creating the collateral, the invitations, checking people in, serving wine, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And I really feel like through those two experiences, um, along with the international relations that I was studying at the Middlebury Institute, um, it was kind of like a perfect combo to then jump into events. Um, And the event side of it was really, and this is a story you've already heard, I graduated from the Institute in 1994, (laughs) and that year I was working for a local nonprofit looking for an international job, and um, I would still go back to the career development office at the Institute and try to find that perfect job. And I came one day, and there was a listing that said, the chief interpreter for the Atlanta games, the Atlanta Olympic games is doing interviews for interpreters on site. You can sign up. That was back when there used to be like a sheet on the wall where you're like signed your name. And um, it did say in big red letters, if you're not an interpreter, please do not sign up. These interviews are for interpreters only. I just chose not to read that part. (laughs) And I signed up, went in, Long story short, I really I really hit it off with the um, the chief interpreter, and he ended up hiring me to be his assistant. So um, that was really my entree into the international world of events, um, hired to go and, and work for the Atlanta Games, supporting um, the chief interpreter. We had several hundred interpre- interpreters there, and um, that that was it. That's how I got in. <laughs> I now,
1: you. <laughs> okay but a lot of people get into this uh you know some may be serendipitously some may be uh intentionally uh but not everybody makes a career out of it so you do these atlanta games right Yeah. Now you could go back to playing louise and cooking things <laughs> on a wood stove if <laughs> right? you wanted to in, in medford <laughs> I uh, could, but well. you decided not to do that so so what happened that that uh I don't know if it's inspired or motivated or led you to actually make this a career rather than kind of a one and done. I did these Atlanta games. It was a lot of fun. Now I'm going to go back and put on my 1911 clothes and have a lot of tourists take pictures of me.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, So I think I did the Atlanta games and I, I got to the end and I went, wow, that was really fun. I really, really liked that. Um, And you know, I, I I didn't mention this, but when I was at the University of Oregon, I was studying um, international relations. I spent one year abroad in South America, perfecting my Spanish. And, and And I think by that time I had realized, hey, I really like this international part of the job. I like the opportunity to meet people from other places, learn new things. Um, and then going off to Atlanta, I realized that I liked that job too. So on the heels of the Atlanta games, um, I, so I, I ended up driving back from Atlanta to Medford, which is, that was a really long road trip, but we drove through Salt Lake. And at that point I, um, I, I knew, you know, the Salt Lake had the games and I was very keen to continue my experience. I actually got myself an interview, I came in. Um, So from the time the Atlanta games were done, I was already trying to figure out how I could get myself on board in Salt Lake. So I was fortunate, I, I came back, did the interview, then got to Salt Lake, or got home to Medford, I was there, um, for about a year, still trying to figure out, still trying to convince Salt Lake to hire me, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, and eventually they did and then moved out here and did uh, about a three-year stint. I, I joined in 99 and, um, wrapped up in 2002 and, um, yeah, so I, I guess really, my experience in Atlanta, I liked it enough that I knew it was something I wanted to do. And then getting the job in Salt Lake and really seeing it, because I, I only worked for Atlanta for a year, so it was more of a, sh- a short-term experience. But the Salt Lake Games, I did, you know, it was a soup to nuts, you know, three-year stint. So I had a, I really knew if I wanted to do it again. And when I got to the end of that, um, I think I was kind of like, okay, I'm in. And at that point I had to figure out, okay, how do I keep doing this kind of thing, but not have to keep moving around the globe? Cause I had gotten married by then. My husband was like, you know, I'll go with you places, but I don't, he saw a lot of my friends, a lot of your friends, a lot of people in the industry who've really, you know, had to spend their life moving from games to games. And I knew that wasn't gonna be for me. Um, so I started kind of diving into how I could continue without having to move every three to five years.
1: So why don't we dive into that? Why, how did you <laughs> figure this out because you're right there are there are people um, you know sometimes they they use that term I don't know if it's a necessarily politically correct term anymore to use but the term games gypsy right the term that yeah. it would just kind of move from one games to another and, and we both have uh, friends or colleagues that we've worked in the with the, uh, in the business for a long time. Yep. And that's what they do. They go live in Sochi for three years and then they go live in Rio for a couple of years and they just yep. kind of go from one event to the next. Uh, but you said, I don't want to do that, but I still want to maintain or remain in this business, in this event yeah. space. So so how are you able to actually figure that out?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so after Salt Lake, um, I... I I intentionally was, okay, we're not going to move. We're going to try to figure out what to do here. I was lucky because some of my closest colleagues in Salt Lake did go on to work in Torino and they were people who knew my work and had seen what I did. And, um, I was lucky because I was able fairly quickly after, um, after the Salt Lake games to get uh, kind of a contractor gig working um, with one of my former colleagues who is now in a like a more of a leadership, leadership position in Torino. Um, I was also fortunate, I would say, in that my husband has a real job where he gets health insurance and a pension. And unlike a lot of people who don't have that, um, and need that like secure full time or at least more than every once in a while type job um, to pay the bills. I was I had a little bit more flexibility. so I um, I started working with Torino and then realized kind of okay, I'm not full time here, I could offer my services up to some of these other events that are going on. So I was lucky at that point, I connected, um, it's kind of funny about, maybe it was just, it was one of the reunions, maybe like just one year, two year, three years. Um, I connected back up with our friends at Five Currents and they um, were working on the Clinton Global Initiative. They said, hey, oh, you're working part-time now, you're a contractor now, could you do CGI with us? I I think I had that anchor client in Torino and then I was able to find like sort of my first small um, additional contract and then my brain started going, oh, like maybe I have something here that I can put the word out to my friends and I can piece together different events and I was fortunate to have done a couple of games. So I knew people who had either established a company or moved into a leadership position at the next games, et cetera. And I was in the fortunate position to be able to go to those people and say, Hey, I've got some extra time. Here's some of the things I can do. You know, that I, you know, I'm not a flake (laughs) and, and kind of was able to build on the relationships that I had made at the two games where I did work full-time. So,
1: All right, well, this is really interesting because what you've done is you've showed us that there are a number of ways to actually be involved in this business, right? So you can work directly for the organizer of an event uh, or the event owner. You can work as a contractor, as an individual consultant uh, to that event. Or subcontracting yourself through another company that provides services in the event space, which is what you did with Five Currents. Yeah. Then you took it to another level because you, at some point in time, you actually started a company yourself. Yes. That is not just yourself, but actually has a team of people. And full disclosure, my son is one of them.
0: Uh- <laughs> yes. Yes. It's fantastic.
1: We don't ever yeah. want them to leave. <laughs> no, I think... there. So tell us about that, the evolution of saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to evolve from being the one man show. Yeah. The contract for hire consultant who's got clients and goes and does these things to then say, well, I can still do that, but I'm actually going to take this to another level. And we're going to start a company that can provide services here. So tell us the story about how that came about
0: (laughs) uh it's long and winding too of course um (laughs) so yeah i started i went from being a full-time employee then i started working as a hired gun essentially and then um eventually let's see i did so i did torino i did um as, as a contractor directly to the OCOG. Then I added some of these agencies doing other types of events like CGI. Um, I worked in, um, in Beijing 2008, then again, as a contractor to an agency. Um, so let's see, I would say somewhere around 2010, Um, cause then we're getting up to Vancouver. Am I right? Is that okay? (laughs) I actually can't even remember. Um, I had enough different pieces going that, I mean, I actually think it might've been my accountant who said like, you need, I mean, it's not very exciting, but he said, you got to You've got to incorporate now. You need to be an LLC because you need to be able to write off your office space and your computer and your travel and that kind of thing. So the first thing I did was create my own LLC, which was just Maureen Sweeney Consulting. Just, you know, it was just me and it was for tax purposes. But then some of the people who were hiring me would say, well, we don't want just want you. We would like you to cover this service, or we'd like you to bring a team. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was very helpful to be incorporated, to be able to do that as well. Um, and then, so I have another, um, person sort of in my sphere who Christian also knows, um, named Todd, who, uh, hired me to do a lot of his events. I was hiring him to do a lot of my events. And at a certain point, um, we decided that we should partner up to kind of bring our two worlds together. So my world was more sports and a few big international events. His world was really the NGO uh, and foundation side. He and I came together and um, now work together under the title of of Tiller or Tiller Language Services. So we kind of pooled our resources and realized we should be working as a team versus just like kind of one-off hiring each other. So it was it was a slow development. It was like just me, me as a consultant, me bringing a few people in under that consultancy and then really coming together under um, Tiller Global. And then a few years later, uh, expanding Tiller Global into two companies, uh, Tiller and Tiller Language Services, which is like sort of the next evolution in the business of what I've been up to.
1: <laughs> which is a lot. Uh, it, it's a lot. Okay, we've got to get into some some uh, story time here. So you've told us the stories about your evolution of your career here, but let's go into some of the uh interesting experience that you've had uh, in this fascinating event career of yours, you know, what were some of the, you know, share uh, maybe one or two stories about some of the, the, you, you all, you always do this in a team. You can't deliver your thing in a vacuum. Right. So, so uh, you know, examples of, of uh, you know, teams that you worked with uh, you know, where you saw like great teamwork leadership, you know, some, some of those kinds of stories. Let's, let's start there. Um,
0: Oh my goodness. I was trying to think about this um, when I was looking at some of the questions that you sent over and that was very helpful. Thank you. Um, I think that (laughs) one of the, Maybe I'll maybe I'll tell you a story from like the very beginning of my career. Just trying to think of what might be helpful to people listening, um, and then maybe something from later on when I when I had more of an idea of what I was doing. I don't know. <laughs> um, so funny, funny kind of fish out of water type um, figuring it out story, I guess. Um, when I was hired to work for the Atlantic committee for the Olympic games, my very first big event. Um, it was, it was kind of fascinating because I went into that interview that I mentioned earlier that I wasn't supposed to be at. Um, I actually left the building thinking, wow, that was a very nice man. Super interesting. I'll never hear from him again. And about two weeks later, I got a call. Um, back on the rotary phone, you know, from someone who said, you know, hi there, this is Susan from the Atlanta, you know, full accent, I was completely thrown. And she said she was calling to offer me a job as the assistant to the chief interpreter. And I said, what? And then took the job, ultimately, flew out to Atlanta. At this point, I think I was 24 or 25. I had never been to Atlanta. Um, I got an apartment somehow over the phone, um, got an airplane, landed, had to like find where I lived. Um, it, there are a lot of funny stories there. Showed up at the office, um, which had craziness just in and of itself. Cause I had no idea how to even, I didn't have a car. I didn't know how to get from where I lived to downtown Atlanta. Anyway, showed up and started working uh, with very little background. Um, and the very first thing that they threw me into was the World Wrestling Championships. Um, for anyone who knows anything about wrestling, which I did not, wrestling's one of the original Olympic sports and almost every single country in the world has a wrestling team. So you're talking about a huge operation Um, and they assigned me to be the on-site manager of language services, which turns out covered, I think, close to 30 languages with volunteers. (laughs) And, and, And I'm like this little 25 year old blonde girl from California who's got no idea. So I sort of dove in and I started trying to pull my teams together and, um, The World Wrestling Championships is also interesting in that there's a lot of rules for this event that have to do with the fact that you have people coming from very sort of low-income countries, right? So the rules include at that time that the hotel needed to be within a certain distance from the venue and had to be under something like $82 a night. I mean, even in 1995, $82 a night was, like, not a very fancy hotel. So we were staying at, I mean, I don't know, some some equivalent of, like, a Motel 6 or something right next to the bus station in downtown Atlanta. So it was an area that I would probably not have frequented um, <laughs> ever, <laughs> and then uh, to sort of facilitate the arrival of over a hundred teams of international wrestlers, which was also a little bit shocking. Cause if you don't have an experience in wrestling, you don't understand, like wrestlers are, uh, an interesting group. They have, you know, the ears that are like ball. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what's wrong <laughs> Um, wrestlers also, when they're in international competition, they need to keep their weight where it needs to be. It's all based on weigh-ins. Um, and so there were people, you know, throughout the event who were running around like with their whole body, like wrapped up in plastic wrap, like trying to not to sweat and that kind of thing. Um, and I was in charge essentially of a good 50 volunteers speaking 30 languages for a hundred teams of wrestlers from around the globe. And I mean, talk about being thrown in without any kind of idea. Um, We really, you know, I would say I saw the value of having a truly multilingual and multicultural team of volunteers Um, available at your event because these guys showed up and a lot of them from really small towns in Southeast Asia, um, the Middle East, um, Eastern Europe, not speaking like a lick of English and um, really helping them to just do the basic things that they needed to do on top of helping them to have an experience in the United States, which was like, for some of them, incredibly thrilling because they've never, you know, maybe even been outside their region. Uh, I I mean, it, it, it was kind of a make or break moment. I feel like you were either going to kind of crumble and cry and go hide or you were going to, you know, figure out how to help. Um, we had a lot of emergency situations like... The signs in the elevator did say, you know, no more than 200 pounds, I don't know, like not 200 pounds, but like seven people and 1400 pounds. No one could read those. So by like the second day, the elevator was like stopping like a foot below because it was so crammed full of wrestlers. So then really quick, we had to translate all the signs into all 30 languages and post them because the elevator was like breaking. Um, there was a lot of people sort of enjoying the opportunity to be out on their own. So there were parties going on that we would then need to go with security and our volunteers and say, Hey, no screaming, no throwing things out the window. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was like my introduction to big international events was sort of, I feel like looking back, like you eat. It was like a make or break. Like you either love this and you're like, okay, <laughs> or or you say, okay, this isn't for me. And I think I, I was scared, and it really, really pushed me. But it was so exciting and so interesting, and I felt like I really did um, add some value. So I got I got excited. So that's my that's my like half, first event story. It was woo. <laughs>
1: Well, it's a fascinating story and there are a couple of things there um that that resonate with me. Uh number one is that uh yeah, that that experience could have scared you off. You could yeah. have said, well, that's really not for me, but you <laughs> actually <laughs> uh you know, it and, and it, it points out that it takes a certain kind of individual to actually uh survive and thrive in this kind of a business. Which really takes me to the second point. And you said this uh, a a couple of times in in your uh, retelling of this story, which is um, you felt like you were helping people, right? That you were adding value. And I think, you know, you know, coming at it from a a perspective of uh, I want to help. I want to serve these people. I want to make sure that they have a good experience. I think that's really, really noble. And it actually takes me to another question for you, which is, you know, as you have kind of, you know, surveyed the the career experience, uh, you know, over 20 plus years here, you know, what have been some of those really heartwarming moments, you know, where you felt like, yes, just like with the wrestlers, you know, we had an impact, we made a difference, we... We did something really, really valuable and, and helpful. And uh every time you think back to those experiences, you're like, you know, this is why I'm here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do I think that's super important, right? Because uh you you want to do something that's meaningful with <laughs> with with your life, I think, or at least I do. Um and still fun so i think for me like that those that that's sort of key like i want to do something that um means more than just making money and i want to i want to have a good time i want my job to be enjoyable i want to feel like i i'm like oh no i have to go to work i don't i don't like that um so i would say yeah that the the wrestler thing was uh was a quite an introduction since then, I would say, so the events that I do through Tiller, we really endeavor to make the majority of our events be sort of, I don't even know what the word is. Like they don't have to be around philanthropy or they don't have to be around um, sort of development, but but that is the area that we focus on. We try a, events with meaning, I would say we try to go for if we can, not always, but, um, in terms of what, which ones really stand out to me, I mean, there are so many cool things I've been able to be a part of. Um, I think there've been a few trips that we've done, um, particularly in Africa where we are bringing um, either wealthy families or individuals, or we're bringing um, organizations, funding organizations to see projects, to sort of try and inspire them to fund those projects. And I would say there's definitely been projects where I knew at the end the people were going to give money to sustain those projects and and that is super cool like <laughs> I mean some of them have been around you know different disease diseases I mean honestly like tuberculosis. We've done a bunch of trips around tuberculosis in Southeast Asia um where at the end people really came away with an understanding of how their money could make a real difference and um and i think for for trips like that we we try the the value that we try to add is that we'll say okay so this is a group of seven philanthropists they're sort of interested in um health funding in in southeast asia can you help us craft a trip that will um allow them to get the end of that trip and feel like they know enough to feel comfortable making like a huge financial contribution. So then we go, we understand which diseases um, for lack of a better term are, are interesting to them. We find the hospitals or the programs that are tackling those issues. Then we find within those hospitals or organizations, we figure out, like, who's the best speaker, who's going to really, like, impact a guest. Because you can go, I mean, some doctors, some nurses are more impactful speakers than others. So, so you, we, you go, you find those people who can really tell the story like you, like you do. Um, and get it all set up, bring those people over. And I mean, I can think of a couple of different like nurses in particular. I'm thinking of some of the nurses that we dealt with in in Indonesia around tuberculosis and some of the nurses that we've dealt with in Africa around malaria who, you know, when they speak and they tell the, the guests about, you know, the, the kids that they treat and they show them the different wards, like there's not a dry eye in the house. And by the end of it, those people are like, oh my God, I want to fund that hospital. Oh my goodness. I want to like, um, you know, uh, contribute to training for a nurses program or a doctor's program. So it, that is like, the coolest <laughs> when you get it. Cause you know, a lot of times we do events and you don't necessarily see like the tangible results. You see a good event and you see people learning things and having a good time. But but that's like an extra added bonus to, to then say, find out, oh, the, that person like ended up paying for this whole ward or this training program. Um, on the sports side, I would say, you know, the Olympics are, are always cool, but when I did the warrior games, um, that I, I didn't really, I didn't know that much about it and going into the warrior games and seeing and learning the stories of all the different folks who had had injuries and then were coming back and competing like that event, if you ever need like to feel good (laughs) the warrior games is like oh my gosh uh like this the stories of the the veterans that come back and the stuff that you see them do and the camaraderie that they have like being at an event where you have a lot of people who suffered the same kind of traumas or injuries um competing against each other and then going out and having a good time like i have to say that event always comes to mind because i didn't I didn't really know much about it. And I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so cool. It's like every day, it's one of those like crying every day, but in a happy way. Cause you, you see somebody who like lost their legs, it's serving in Afghanistan and they're like winning gold medals. And it, I don't know that, that one really got me. I, I really had so much fun and, and I felt like. This is pretty
1: cool. <laughs> so. Well, I'm sitting here listening to these stories, and I can imagine someone who's going to be watching this or listening to this uh, on Apple Podcasts or whatever, thinking to themselves, "This sounds too good to be true. This this sounds amazing. <laughs> this I, I want this right." But you would probably be the first person to admit that it's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? It's it's yeah. hard work, and sometimes it can be very stressful. And sometimes you can get burned out. And sometimes you can work with people that are not pleasant to work with. And sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't work and you yeah. fail. And, I, and I'm and i curious to ask about that, you know, because we hear about how amazing it is. And it is. And that's why we yeah. are here, right? It's why you yeah. and I are still doing this stuff after all this time.
0: Yeah. But
1: but it's, it's not all rosy. And so I'm curious uh, if you've got any experiences, stories you can share where Things didn't pan out.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think that's a really, really, really good point because I have seen over the years people who really, really think that they want to do events. I'm sure you've had this experience too, where I'm in an interview with somebody and they're like, my dream, you know, I grew up in Vancouver and now the Vancouver games are here. And I really, really, really want to do this. And they're just going on and on. And then I ask them about their background and their background is not super operational. It's more, um, it's more like they've worked in fields where they're actually like procedures and like a clear plan and process and, and uh, you know, I think, I think that, I mean, it's a different, if it's a different question, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead here, but like, I, I do think that it's important to understand that just because you like going to events, or you like watching events on TV does not necessarily mean that you're going to like delivering events. And I feel like every time I've done the Olympics in particular, there are just as many people at the end. I'd say it's 50, 50, right? Or hopefully it's 70, 30. If I've done my hiring correctly, like 70% of them are like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do anything else. But this It was amazing. And then there's a solid chunk of people who say never again <laughs> uh, because it's it's long, long, long days. There's no book. There's no procedure to follow as much as, you know, people like Christian and I who've done this many times try to really um, make things clear and have processes and procedures for people. You know, I'd say that a good portion of the job is really like, changing everything at the last minute, like being ready for those, like, okay, all the plans that we made right now, no longer apply, what are we going to do? And being comfortable, like, just making stuff up, um, which Uh, in terms of things that I've done that have failed, like I've done, I do, I do something every day that I fail at, but like, I think the most important thing is to understand that. I, I mean, I don't, I use, I don't usually use the word fail just because I feel like that sounds so extreme. Like things just don't go to plan often, or maybe the plan that you made was not the optimal plan. And I think, um, being okay with, with. Accepting that and changing and moving forward, and not being somebody, not getting caught up in like blame. Like, I'm always like, I don't really care who messed this up. I don't, you know, or I'm happy to take full responsibility for this falling apart. Okay, we're done with that. Now we have to make a plan for what we're going to do because you can't have an entire event not happen just because one thing didn't work. So my main, my best example here, like, and the biggest, what felt like failure to me, um, was for the, for the Vancouver games, um, opening ceremonies, which I was responsible for the presidential box of the opening ceremonies at the Vancouver games in that presidential box. You see it on TV. Every time you watch the opening ceremonies, this is the head of state of the country. Um, the mayor of the city, the head of the IOC, um, all of the heads of every delegation. So, you know, if Russia's coming, Putin's in the box, maybe not now, but you know, uh, like the queen, stuff like that. Um, and for, uh, in Vancouver, the bus carrying that delegation of humans, Took a wrong turn because there were huge protests going on in front of where the bus was supposed to turn and the bus didn't arrive on time and when it did arrive it dropped those people off not at the door adjacent to where they were supposed to sit on camera it, they were dropped like four levels down at bc place at an unknown entrance um and and my job was to make sure that those people were sitting where they were supposed to sit for the first camera shot and the TV show was being held because they couldn't do the shot. And so like the pressure, even now thinking about it, like it's one of those like, <gasps> uh, I remember yeah, being on the radio with the person inside the bus to try to identify where those people were going to get dropped off, finding my way down there and then having to lead them from that door, which I'd never been to on a floor. I'd never been to, to the entry to their box, had no idea how to get from that place to that place. So then had to find people who could lead me, had to walk with purpose and determination to get them through, lead them in um, when the NBC was having to hold the show. Like that was a pretty big failure. Um, on many people's parts, but it's like, you can't, you can't start crying and go hide behind the couch. You have to be like, okay, so we're going to be late, but this is how late we're going to be. And this is how we're going to rectify this and make it as good as we can in the moment. So I feel like I got done with that. And I, you know, I had some time alone in a closet with the door locked (laughs) with my (laughs) thoughts. Um, but those kinds of things happen at most events. And I think if, I think it ties with the other question about like getting into this, you have to think about like, well, can I handle when those kinds, maybe not to that extent, but like the chairs don't get delivered or the mics all go dead, or like, those are the kinds of things that we deal with. and. If you're okay with that, and you think it's kind of fun and you can recover, then this is a good career for you. But if you're the type of person who's like, that sounds awful. (laughs) You're probably more normal than us.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, well said, Uh, well said. Uh, You know, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is, and and I wanna ask everybody who comes on, is it's difficult to make it in this kind of work on your own. If you have someone who uh, will champion your cause, who you can learn from, yeah. it's really helpful. And, yes. you know, I'm talking about mentors or people that were willing to take you under their wing. And so, uh, and, and you may have, you know, been able to kind of be on both sides of that fence, uh, where you, you, uh, have been mentored by people and you've also been in a position to help other people who are just starting out. And so I'm curious if you've got any stories or experiences uh, to share about mentors or being a mentor yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think the whole mentor thing is hugely important. And I think having a close tight network that you support and supports you is also extremely important um so i mean from a mentorship perspective i feel like you know that that person that i've mentioned or alluded to a few times that ended up hiring me as their assistant in atlanta bill weber who's been involved with the olympics since 1968 um I mean, he really was the person that brought me in and mentored me and, and sort of allowed me to become part of his circle. Um, and I can't thank him enough for it. Like he and I are still extremely close. Um, and then I feel like in the intervening years before I was able to sort of mentor and help other people, establishing that kind of network because it is an unusual career where you don't have people in the office and a desk next to you. So you need to find those people that you like and that will help you and you can help and will hire you and you can hire them, or will tell you about other events that are going on really fostering that network. So I feel like people like, you know, Christian and I are, are part of that support network for each other. We have many other friends, I really like from the beginning, I have made that a part of what I do. I know Christian has as well. Um, I spend a certain amount of time per week, every week since I created my own consultancy, and even beforehand, just connecting with people that I know and like, and not with the expectation that they're going to give me work immediately or not with anything, you know, like always trying to have lunch with people who are nearby. Seeing people when you go into other cities, sharing information in the hopes that they will share information with you. I think that I just can't even overstate how important that is. And I think Christian and I are on the same page there very much. Um, Now, yeah, I absolutely like I want to be able to help people the way that people help me. (laughs) You know, you gotta, you gotta pay it forward. Um, And it's also hugely helpful, you know, like uh, the people that you want to mentor are going to be people that you think are, are going to be the leaders in your field. So, you know, it's funny, Bill, who, Bill Weber, who brought me into this industry, um, always makes this joke at meals or toasts or things. He always says, you know, I hired Maureen um, and, and got her her first couple of jobs so that she would hire me for the last 15 years and get me lots of jobs, essentially. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that because as a freelancer or an owner of a small company or consultancy, you don't have that, you know, uh, sort of colleagues sitting around you in cubicles, you've got to foster that, um, on your own. And I, I really, I have seen, I, I feel like I can just like verify that, like the people out there who wanted to kind of do what I'm doing, what Christian's doing, like what some of our other very successful friends are doing, um, but didn't succeed are the people who just really didn't like that part of the job. Like they felt guilty reaching out to people or they felt weird about like setting up lunches and phone calls. And, um, I just, I think I think it's so incredibly important cuz you have to you know market yourself and you can't do that on your own. You need like a team supporting you. Uh,
1: I think that's very well said. Uh as we come down to the home stretch of our okay. conversation here before I get to my final couple of questions Uh, did we leave anything out? Are there any stories that I've missed that you're like, I'm dying to tell this story. I've been waiting years to tell this story. I need to tell this story.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, um, no, no, I have, I have, I have a couple that might be good for like the late night version. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I can, tell, I can tell you one that Sally, my daughter, Sally was like, oh, you have to tell the story about, um, about Morocco. And I, I, uh, it's pretty funny. I guess I'll have to tell you. So I, I did an event, a, a learning trip in Morocco with a group called the lives and livelihoods fund that, that Christian mentioned at the beginning. They're, they're a group of, um, rich Middle Eastern countries are more wealthy, developed Middle Eastern countries. Um, this organization then makes large financial contributions to more, um, developing or lower income Muslim countries. So they wanted to go to Morocco, which is does fairly well. I mean, they're not necessarily like a super poor country, but they have some, um, this group was interested in learning about their sort of uh, they, they're very, they've been very successful in cooperative farming. um, And they wanted to learn about different types of farming that was happening around Morocco, kind of to look at as a model and also to support those projects that were working really well. So we were out in the country looking at like olive groves and Um, and there was a ladies cooperative that did herbs and it was, it was really, really cool. Um, and I was doing the advance, meaning that on the day of the trip around Morocco to see the different places, I would jump ahead of the delegation, meet with the main people, make sure everything was in order. Um, and then I would be texting with my team that was coming in the van with the actual guests. To have their presentation because we would only have say you know an hour to two hours at each site to make it through the day so the morning went great we went and saw some olive growers in the morning i got there checked everything out the two most engaging guys are there i can text i make the entry to the guests it's great then i jump in the car go to the next site it's the ladies cooperative. We're having lunch there. We're eating the lunch that includes the herbs from that have been grown. Uh, I get them all in. I get them seated. They have their food. It's all fantastic. I jump ahead to the last site. The last site is this awesome guy who is a beekeeper. And he, um, he has all of these bees. He makes, he has this the site is fantastic because he's extracting the honey, right? So he pulls out the thing, puts it in the machine, goes through, the honey comes out. He, they're going to talk to him about how he do, does it and takes the different swarms, different places, collects the honey. He has the honey for them to eat. He has goodies made out of the honey. It's like the grand finale. Um I get there, the guy doesn't speak a lick of English, by the way, but is the nicest guy. I get there on my own, we're having our little sign language phone conversation, um, about ready to go. I'm like, you know what, I I need a bio break. You can cut this out if you need to, but it's so funny. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna like put my hand sanitizer, I'm gonna use the, um, I mean, so this is rural Morocco, so we're in a, uh, not a real bathroom, we're in a pit toilet. I go to the back, I'm going to go there, I'm going to come out, and then I'm going to text and say, we're all ready to go, and I go in, and I didn't realize that my Apple iPhone was in my back pocket of my jeans Oh. <laughs> or I could text the delegation, which includes, like, secretaries of, I mean, I don't even, I, the, I mean, high-level finance people from eight different Middle Eastern countries. My phone, I hear a... That was my worst day of doing events in the 25 years I've done this. <laughs> Because at that moment, like, they... They don't want to arrive there's like cameras they don't want to show up without that text like that 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 motorcade is waiting for that text call so the the hardest thing that i've done in my 25 years was to lean over and pick my phone up out of that location and make a text call <laughs> i'm sorry Kristen. you can wow oh, okay sorry was so good <laughs>
1: That's worth it. Yeah. And they that, got the that,
0: text They came. Everything was fantastic. I never told anyone ha- what happened until the debriefing, and and I won best story of the trip.
1: <laughs> okay, so so you know, pun intended. That's a really crappy uh, story. It a crappy, uh, crappy thing. <laughs> I, I I'm glad that the phone was actually in arm's length. Uh, You could reach it because sometimes if the pit's too deep, I mean, what are you going to do?
0: I was very happy that I could reach it. Um, Yes. And it still worked. (laughs) (laughs) And that I had that. And that would lead to another piece of advice when you're doing events. um, Always have like wet wipes in your kit.
1: (laughs) Phone always in the front pocket and always and have don't wet wipes.
0: And in your front pocket. Don't put it in okay,
1: your Okay. So that's probably <laughs> the most important advice we've received all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've shared a lot of advice. Um, and that is, you know, one question that I do have uh, is, aside from all the advice that you've already shared, is there any other advice that you'd like to share with someone who is contemplating potentially working in this industry?
0: Um, I would say... Do some events before you make that decision. Because like I was saying, when I have interviewed some people in the past, I can tell from the interview, based on what they've been spending their whole life doing, that they're probably really not going to like the job. They just have an idea of what the job is. Um, so I would say if you really want to do events, like even um, go do some little events, like volunteer. If you're in college, go Work in the development office or work in the um, athletics department and uh, go volunteer somewhere to do an event because you really, um, it's really not what you think it is. (laughs) Um, It's fun and exciting, but it's, uh, if you, if it, it, a sports event isn't doing sports. A celebrity event isn't being a celebrity. You know what I mean? Like you truly are um, doing a very separate job from what the content of the event is about. And I think I see people who um, love playing sports, so they think that they're going to enjoy working at the Olympics, and they don't. <laughs> I mean, some do, but it, it's 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 a common Misconception. And and I think even doing events on a very small scale, they do replicate that kind of like having to make last minute decisions, everything changing, things going wrong, being able to think on your feet, not having like any kind of guidebook to follow. Um, make sure you really like that. That's my, you know, and if you like it, if you like it on a low level, like a a small scale, not a low level, that sounds bad, but on a smaller scale, you'll probably like it on a bigger scale. Like how much did the stress that you went through bother you? If, if the stress kind of got you excited, you're probably a good candidate. If the stress made you go like, I need more rules or details or guidelines, then maybe not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it actually, you know, I said we were wrapping this up and gosh, we've been going an hour here, but I, I just, I have to ask one other question because when you were talking about that, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, one of the things that could be a turnoff for some people, that, but actually uh, is a is a big motivation for me is if you enjoy active learning. Uh, then this oh, is, I like this, calling
0: it that. <laughs> you know, then
1: then it it can be fun. And the example that I would give is you bringing me on to Tokyo to do this junior interpreter program thing. Yep, it had never been done. I don't <laughs> I mean, know anything yeah. about working with simultaneous interpreters uh, other than having used them as you know, uh, you and being a service provider and having some interaction with interpreters, but actually you know developing this kind of a program or something. I mean that. Never did anything like that. And you I think half jokingly asked if I'd be interested. And I half jokingly said, Well, sure. But,
0: <laughs> but
1: you know, it turned out to be for me, it was a really great experience, and it gave me an opportunity to learn something that I had not yes. done before. Yeah. And and uh, and so I enjoy that. I enjoy learning having these opportunities to learn how to do new things. And I think working at events provides ample opportunities for you yeah. to Stretch outside of your comfort zone and learn to do new things. If you're willing to do that, because the opportunities will be there, and, and so that actually leads me to the question for you, which is, you know, uh, you came in and, and into this industry as a you know grad student, uh, <laughs> and you developed a number of skills over a period of time, and and you know maybe you have some experience or uh, you know stories that that revolve around. Uh, you getting an opportunity to learn to do something new uh, that, you, that you, you didn't know uh, before, aside from the wrestling one. You told us the wrestling one. And I thought it was all new, right? All uh, new. You could have just like, I'm going to stay here in my lane and I'm going to do the thing that I'm really good at doing. But you've advanced your career because you've been willing to take on things that maybe hadn't been done before or do things that you hadn't done before and so i'm just curious if you've got any experiences you'd like to share around that you know the, yeah. the acquisition of new skills and uh uh knowledge
0: yeah i think that's i mean it's a really great comment that you just made like i i do think that is one of the reasons similar to you that i love doing this because every event I feel like with the exception of those that are very like sort of the dry kind of corporate get togethers or whatever, you do get to learn something new that you dive into, you know? Um, uh, I would say for almost every one of these learning trips that I've done, um, I've, I mean, we've had a few where like we've had Three or four tuberculosis-related trips, or three or four malaria-related trips. Like, you really, um, even though you're not the content expert on those trips, you you can't seem like a dummy because the guests are going to ask you too, right? So, and you can't every single time say like, "Well, why don't we talk to Bob, who's the preeminent preeminent expert in malaria research?" You know, they want you to say like so why don't we do X or how come some people get bit by mosquitoes more than others? Um, like you have to have that like basic knowledge and, um, and, and I, and I like you, like, I love, I love that. Right. It's, it's not boring. It's not like, um, so in terms of, Learning something new, I I really, I honestly feel like every event, with the exception of those that are more like an annual meeting or something, I've had to spend time learning about the content of the event that I was delivering, Um, and I love that. I would say in terms of just learning something brand new, you bring up tokyo is a is is a good example tokyo i feel like me and everyone on the team had to learn so many new things you know we had to learn how to deliver an event in a you know pandemic situation <laughs> um you know and and in my program i mean i was for tokyo i was initially hired to deliver the interpretation services for the Olympics, which i had done many other times in the past, but then it started changing on a weekly basis, you know, they came to us first and they said, okay, we don't want people to use, um, usually for simultaneous interpretation, people hand, you know, you hand out these headsets and then you check them out, check them back in. They didn't want to do that because it's the pandemic. you don't want to stick something in your ears that somebody else just stuck in their ears. So they said, "Can you come up with a application that will allow people to use their own headphones? So that was sort of the first step. okay, how can we we had this app? How do we make it so that people can use it for headsets? Then you know, we had always had on site volunteers well. Guess what? We're getting rid of all the live volunteers. We need uh, something to replace them, but we can't pay as much as we need for those high level professional volunteer or professional interpreters who are doing simultaneous interpretation. What should we do? Um, And I mean, to be honest, like I kind of made something up along with my Um, my partner, Alex, which, which morphed into the junior interpreter program that then, you know, um, Alex and I had come up with this sort of general idea and a general concept. And then we hired Christian who really then took that concept of, okay, we're going to use recent graduates. We're going to use people who are maybe still in interpreting school. They're going to do consecutive interpretation over, um, over the internet, Okay, Christian, take this concept and turn it into an actual program. Um, and I, and then they said, "Oh, and guess what? We need for every group over twenty that are traveling to Tokyo, there has to be a COVID liaison officer that makes sure all the COVID rules are followed." And we were fortunate that Christian had a son. <laughs> That we hired, you know, and that was made up too, frankly, because we were bringing 85, 90 people over to Japan. And and what what should that program look like? Like, what do we need to tell people to do? What are the, you know, um, and all of that happened, you know, in the year between when we were supposed to deliver the Olympics and when we really did. So it was all active learning and, and active, like, developments. It's almost like the most extreme example. Um, but I do feel like for all events, there is, you know, if you're, if you're good, that the value that you can add to your client is to really digging in and understand not only their content, but like, okay, you've always done it this way, but what if you did it this way? Here's some new ideas and suggestions and, It'll make your event better and, you know, it'll be something new and interesting for me to add to my toolbox for the next people that I go and offer an event to. So it's huge. That's a huge, hugely good point. And I think that's like another way to be a good, you know, get your foot in the door and have good ideas and be open and and creative and think about not just doing everything the way that it's always been done.
1: All right, well, okay, my last question, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, which is the, uh, if you had a chance to do it again, uh, you know, what would you do differently? So that's my last question. I'm curious to hear your response to this because you were like, I'm not exactly sure I'm going to answer that question <laughs> uh, or how I'm going to answer that question. It reminded me of the quote, um, I don't know if you remember the movie Incredibles, the Incredibles, a mm-hmm. Pixar movie, yeah. And there's a character in there named Edna Mode, and she's like the fashion designer for the superheroes. And uh, <laughs> and she has this quote in there say, where she says, I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now, right? So, <laughs> so at the risk of getting that kind of answer, I'll go ahead and ask the question anyway. You know, if you had to look back, uh, would you do anything differently?
0: You know, um, <sighs> I really, I like I said before we got on air. I am, uh, I am a little bit like that. I'm very much a like look ahead person, um, and maybe that means I'm not very reflective. But I, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't think there's a big thing that I would do differently. Honestly, like I, I I'm pretty happy with how things have played out in my career. Um, I feel like I have made some good choices, but I've also gotten lucky. So, you know, if you give up, uh, if you change your choices, maybe your luck would have changed too. So (laughs) you can't, you can't mess with the past. Um, No, I don't, I don't know. I think maybe, um, Hmm. I mean, it would always have been nice to know some of the things you know when you're older, when you were younger, right? I I mean, that adds another level to it. But, like, if I could have known when I was young, you know, what I know about just kind of not getting, like, staying calm, not getting so, so, so uh, anxious, I don't know. I think that, but I, but I believe like that level of calm that maybe you have more of when you're older, um, you have to live through all the pain of your youth to like acquire that wisdom and knowledge. (laughs) So I guess I'm just going to say, um, no, I, I mean, I could have made a lot of different decisions that maybe would have made me more money or got me somewhere else, but I'm not messing with that. I'm happy with where I am and I'm, there's no point in second, second guessing at this point, it's too late.
1: (laughs) Well, you're in a great place. You're in a fantastic place, Maureen, and you've helped so many organizations, uh, so many events, uh, so many people. And if people, you know, maybe they're planning future events, maybe they need interpretation. Maybe there are new people that are, you know, considering getting into this business and they're like, wow, Maureen sounds amazing. I really need to connect with her. You know, what's the best way for people to reach out and uh, get in touch with you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to have people email me. Um, maureen at SweeneyGlobal.com is the best way to get a hold of me. And, yeah, I'm happy to share any anything I might have learned over the past 20 years. And, you know, um, I would I'd be happy to hear from folks. So.
1: All right. Fantastic. We'll put that email down in the show notes so people can uh, see that without having to watch an hour of video to find out what your email address (laughs) is. With that, uh, thank you so much for dedicating so much of your time to share so much of your knowledge and experiences and your stories uh, with us. I really appreciate it, Maureen. Thank you very much. And listeners and viewers, please like and subscribe to our humble little podcast here and we'll catch you again soon. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Christian. That was super fun.